Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode four of Broadway Talks, where I sit down with Broadway stars and discuss the magic that is theater. In this episode, I'm with Kate Rockwell, who recently finished her two-year run in Mean Girls on Broadway as the lovable Karen Smith. Hi, Kate. Hi, Ross. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you for agreeing to come on. So for those of you who don't know, Kate Rockwell is phenomenal. She is kind and so amazingly talented, you know, and she has so much experience, you know, Karen and Mean Girls, Skylar and Bring It On, Legally Blonde, Hair, Rock of Ages, you know, that's just Broadway. Don't even get me started on the regional and national tours and everything. So Kate, I have to ask, how did all this start? Like, where did this love for the arts begin that led to so many amazing things? Like, just what made you want to become a performer? Well, I was really lucky, and I grew up with two parents who, while not performers themselves, um, really instilled in me very, very early a love for the art, especially music. Both of my parents have beautiful singing voices, and um, they sang, like, in school when they were kids and younger, but neither of them were really, I don't think they even thought about it as like a profession. Like, I don't think that was something that even entered their minds. Um, and so I was raised always with a lot of music in the house, um, a lot of singing and also like a real love for Broadway. My parents were originally from New Jersey and, and Connecticut. So kind of bordering the city and they lived in the city actually for a few years before they had me um, and then quickly ran away to the suburbs. Yeah. Um, but so they really loved Broadway. They were very, very passionate about it. And I, I sort of absorbed that love even before I really knew that it was happening. I, I, I don't have a memory of not loving theater. I, we had um, records, like actual records, like record yeah, player like records vinyl. when I was a kid. Yeah, like, uh, thank you, vinyl is what we call them now that we're cool. Yeah. Um, now that they're getting like a resurgence. But we grew up listening to original cast records was before we had CDs. And I listen. I started listening to Phantom of the Opera and Pippin and Godspell, um, Cats even, sorry, it's true, Cats. Um, <laughs> and that's really like where I, I fell in love with it then. And I kind of fell into choir programs in school and the theater program in my junior high and my high school. And I think I realized that it was something that I wanted to do professionally, like with my whole life. Um, when I was a freshman in high school and we did a production of Fiddler on the Roof, um, which I still to this day absolutely adore. And I played Grandma Seidel, who's, uh, it's a very, it's like a one scene crazy bit character. And uh, I was 14. So I was one of the youngest people in the company playing the oldest person in the company or the <laughs> oldest character in the show. And uh, I, I was also in the ensemble and I remember being in the opening number when the, you the the actor playing Tevya is out front and we're behind a curtain behind him and he's doing the opening monologue about a fiddler on the roof. Sounds crazy, you know? And it's the introduction into tradition. It's the first number of the show. And I was so nervous. And the curtain started to go up and we did kind of the beginning, like tradition, tradition. And it's like this choreography that's been done since the dawn of time where you just like put your arms out and like pump your fist. And, uh, I the curtain went up and I could see the audience in our little theater. And I just remember thinking like, they're right there and we're right here. And everything that's happening is happening to all of us at the same time. I was like, that is so cool. And I just got so pumped at the idea of like 
the adrenaline of performing live in front of people and, and being able to, we could see them, you know, you, it, I, people maybe who don't perform don't realize, but we can see the audience quite a bit of the time. And so I was just fascinating and, and so exciting. And the, the adrenaline was so crazy. So that was where I was like, oh, I want to do this forever. Like I just loved it. So that's really where it started. And, and I, I, I really do credit my parents with giving me the love of music, but also the love of Broadway and live theater, because we, even though we grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, far away from, from Broadway, I was, I was really instilled with a, with a um, solid Broadway education long before yeah. I actually saw a show on Broadway many years later. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what your first show was? Well, the first touring show that I saw, because we had a, a touring house in Cincinnati where I grew up, um, the Aronoff Center, actually, and that's where all of the like national tours would come through. And when I was, it was 1990. Yep, that's right. 1990. So I was <laughs> six, let's say, because um, that's how old I am. And we went to see a touring production of Cats. So that was the first show that I remember seeing. And actually, I, I t- told this story before, there was an actor the cats kind of entered through the aisles and I was sitting on an aisle and they would like kind of come up in your face and like paw at you or like rub on you or whatever. And this, this actor did that to me. I have no idea who it was. Um, it, I'm sure it was a matinee. So it was probably someone who was very tired, but he like came up and like pawed at my face and that I literally was like, <gasps> and I was hooked like right then and there. I was like, Oh, I'm in cats is my favorite musical of all time. And so that was the first show I saw in general that I, at least that I remember seeing. And then my first Broadway show was the revival of Wonderful Town in 2005, I think. Uh, five or, I'm pretty sure it was five. Maybe it was four, somewhere in that world. Um, and we went to see Saturday Matinee and every single understudy that they could possibly have was on. And it was so spectacular. I'd never seen Wonderful Town. I had never seen anything on Broadway. I didn't understand at the time that like the understudies in Broadway shows are the absolute most incredibly skilled people that work on Broadway because it is unbelievable how like hardworking and and passionate and talented they are. And so honestly, like I can't, there were a bunch of, I don't even remember who was, there was celebrities in it at the time. I don't remember who I was supposed to see. Possibly Donna Murphy. I feel like maybe she was in that. Um, I did not see her. I did see her under study and they were incredible. And I was so blown away by the level of talent on that stage. Um, and then in that same trip, I, oh, was that, it was definitely 2004. Now all of a sudden I remember, I definitely got to see Wicked in that time oh, that I was yeah, there Wicked too. was my, sh- my second show. Yeah, yeah, it was my, yeah. I think it was my second actually. Yeah. Um, and that was like, I saw Idina Menzel. I cried. Oh, wow. It was That's, very, ex- I it was quite an experience. I saw Idina Menzel. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Kristen Chenoweth had just left, um, but Idina Menzel was still with the company, and it was like, I was like, just, I literally cried, like, she came out on stage, and I started to cry. She did Defying Gravity. I cried. I cried a lot that day. (laughs) (laughs) And so, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I remember you said once that you actually read for Karen Smith while Mean Girls was still in the development phase. That's correct. Yeah, so were you, so you were there from the very beginning. So how was it kind of seeing the show kind of progressed from start to finish. It's so crazy to where I've, I've had the, the pleasure of creating two roles. I created Skylar in Bring It On um, and then Karen and Mean Girls. And it was kind of ironic about that is that I, both of them, I was sort of there from the very, very beginning um, by, by chance on Well, I guess for Bring It On, I technically auditioned for the reading, but still. Um, and then 
I, both of them, I sort of was gone for one phase. And then I came back for the, what would be technically the third phase. And like so much had changed in between those two things. It was so interesting. But um, with Mean Girls specifically, I got, I was asked to come in and read for what was the very first table read of the show. All they had was a script for act one and they had some music sort of started, but we weren't a lot. We weren't singing any of it. Jeff Richmond, who wrote the, the score, he sort of sang the little bits that he had kind of created just so that we could get an idea of what they sounded like with the script. And actually Gray Henson was there as well. Oh, really? So he and I, mm-hmm, he and I were there from the very, very yeah, beginning. So for those of you who don't know, way. Gray Henson played Damien in the original Broadway cast of Mean Girls. Yes. So, and he actually left the show the same day that I did. Yeah. And as well so as we, Barrett, right? You all yep, left the same yep. day. Yep. So Gray and I actually really were there from the very beginning until the very last day for us, not the last day for the show, obviously, yeah. but, um, and it, it is, it was so, it wasn't even the same. It was nothing like the show that we at now have. <laughs> really? on it was so different. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And honestly, like there were so many fascinating people that were there. There were a lot of people from the 30 rock cast were there. There were some people from unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt that were reading. There were some oh, other wow. actors that had worked with, Casey Nicola in the past that were there. So it was a, it was a very different group of people than um, the original company of Mean Girls once we actually made it to Broadway. And the yeah. script was so different. Oh my gosh, it was so different. Gray and I every now and then would like relive very strange moments that we like can kind of remember because it was a long time ago. It was in 2015. Yeah. Um, so several years ago actually. But, um, but yeah, and then they did a reading of it actually that I was out of town working in California and they reached out to me and I was devastated that I couldn't be there. And I immediately was like, well, there it goes. There goes my chance. That was my chance to be a Mean Girls and I lost it. Somebody else is going to get it. Um, but then when they came back and were ready to sort of do their lab, which is our, our sort of developmental phase, um, they had auditions. And so I went in and I auditioned for it again, just like everybody else. Um, we all did, we all auditioned again. And so that was how I ended up back in the company, which was, which I'm so, I can't even, there aren't even words for how grateful I am that I got to be back in that company of people. And then those people that, um, auditioned, is were they part of the original cast then, or was there another round of auditions for the final cast? We, I think for the lab, we ended up with probably about 70% of the company that made it okay. to Broadway. Um, and then there was another round of auditions before we went to DC, which was our out of town. Um, and then the DC company is the original company. So yes. everybody that was in the DC company did come in and originate on Broadway. Perfect. And so so, so since you were there from the very beginning, did you kind of find it hard to continue like revamping your own interpretation of the character as the script kept changing and as the show kept changing? Or did you kind of find yourself at some points locked in the way that you interpreted Karen like in the first stage when you were like rehearsing for the official Broadway show? That's a great question. Um, you know, for me, I think, especially because Karen... Um, how do I say this? Karen, Karen didn't have a lot to say necessarily yeah. compared to other characters. Um, and what was kind of fun is every time we would get a new line or something would get cut or a song would change, you actually learn a little bit more about the characters every time, right? So there was a section of a song that was added for the Broadway run that we didn't have in DC. And which song that, was that? Uh, Stop. 
Oh, really? So that wasn't in two. DC? No, that was brand new for Broadway. We wow. had a very different song for the opening of Act Two in DC called Bossed Up that okay. um, sadly doesn't exist anymore. Yes. Um, but there was this section of Stop that actually, it sort of ended up getting trimmed down. And, and this, it does exist in the version we have now, but it used to be much longer. And I learned all about Karen and her dad. I learned that Karen, like, it was really interesting. It was like a very interesting piece of information that I had never heard, that we had never talked about. Um, and then it got cut. But then, of course, I still had all that information, right? Yeah. Like, I still knew all of these things that we had written. And, and they become part of the fold of, of Karen and who Karen is for me. So for me, you know, you start with sort of a, a rough draft of the character when you start working on it, either in the readings or in a lab or whatever. And then every subsequent change is just more and more information for you to piece together. And the cool thing about being a character that doesn't have a ton on in in the script necessarily on the page is that you as the actor get to kind of make a lot of decisions that flesh out that character for yourself. So I really got to sort of build off of, I took everything from the movie that I knew about Karen. I took everything from old versions of scripts that we had had either, you know, thrown away or had changed or whatever. And I put that into Karen and she really became this very, I knew this person that she was a real person to me. She was not, you know, a, a one-dimensional stereotype she was a mm -hmm. full human who I knew what Karen ate for breakfast in the morning like I knew where Karen bought her tiny little green purse like I knew all of that stuff about her because I spent so much time with her so I don't know I think it just develops over time I don't feel like I ever felt stuck at all um until I mean even then I didn't because again we just kind of continued to evolve when every when cast changes and relationships change on stage then she continues to evolve too. So I never, I don't think I ever felt really stuck in her. I felt like she was always growing. Yeah. And were any of your previous roles, because, you know, Margot in Legally Blonde is also kind of similar in that, you know, doesn't have too much to say. So did you- No, not of, the brightest, right. Yeah. So did you feel that Margot kind of inspired some of your performances as Karen? Or did you have any other roles that you kind of felt helped you create that new person? I, you know, it's funny, you're actually the first person to ask me that, which is, I always thought that was something people would catch on to, that Margot was very, had, had on paper a lot of similarities to, yeah. um, to Karen, but I, I, first of all, I was, um, shall we say, literally 10 years older, <laughs> <laughs> so I was a very different person, and my energy had changed, and I, I, as an actress, had changed and evolved, but also, I think, you know, how many people do we know in life that perhaps um, their IQ isn't their best quality? Plenty, lots of people. Um, and I think that Margot had, I always say like everyone has nice qualities. That's one of the things I say a lot about life and also the characters that I've had the, the privilege to play. Everybody has nice qualities. Not all of them are the same. Um, Margot's nice quality was sort of constant encouragement. She was like your cheerleader all the time. Um, I would not call Karen a cheerleader necessarily. I don't think she moves fast enough or is quick yeah. enough to even like have that. Um, but what Karen is, is just full of joy, right? She is just joyful, joyful, joyful all the time. Um, so while they on paper had a lot in common, they felt very, very different to live in. Um, and some of that is just because I was a literal decade older doing, doing Karen versus doing, doing Margot. What's also funny is actually Margot's older than Karen. Margot is like in college. Yeah. And Karen is still in high school. It's like I'm going backwards in, time. Yeah. <laughs> in my, in my very supportive, 
uh, best friend roles that I've been playing for, for 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> 14 years, yeah. So I, I, I want to ask you, do you have any moments in Mean Girls that were kind of like, oh crap, I can't believe I just did that. Like kind of those like big mess, like some moments. Cause I remember I was talking on uh, my first episode on this podcast was with Kaylin Fu. And she was telling me when she was on as Gretchen during the scene where she was like, you can't sit with us. She accidentally oh. said, you can't sit here. And yep. it was in the whole character of like Karen and Gretchen to like Karen is comforting Gretchen after that scene. But inside Kaylin was actually feeling what Gretchen was feeling on the outside and kind of everyone froze because she was like that was Tina Fey's favorite line and it was hysterical that was honestly one of the funny because I literally just went oh like what's she gonna do she has to say it again it's like a, the most famous line in the movie <laughs> what's she gonna do it was so oh the poor thing god love her she handled it really well it was very very funny um and I was just honestly like full laugh like laughing open mouth waiting to see how she was going to handle the fact that I don't even think she realized she said it wrong right away. Maybe she did. I can't remember. Oh my gosh. Oh no. I have definitely had those. I had, <laughs> well, I had what I, what I like to call one of the cracks heard around the world. Um, and sexy. I was very, very sick and it was around Thanksgiving of last year. And okay. we have a, a, during the holidays, we have a very intense schedule because we, either you, even if you do have the holidays off, you, you have a lot of people in New York city. And so kind of to try to serve all of those people and, and I mean, frankly, make, make the money during the holiday time when it's busy in New York. Um, we have a lot, a lot, a lot of shows. It's a very, very intense schedule. And I got really sick and which happens of course, when you're working a lot, you get yeah, sicker and sicker. Really and so I was, I was trying very hard to sing through this very nasty throat infection that I got. And I was on steroids and I was on antibiotics and all this stuff, just trying to get through it. And unfortunately, I should definitely have not come to work on this one particular evening um, that I <laughs> tried to get through. And I tried to, to get up to that riff at the end of Sexy, go, sex, sex, sexy. And I tried to do that and it went all over the place. It was so many notes that are not notes. It was <laughs> definitely in three or four different keys. My voice just split and went everywhere. It was so swollen. And I finished the number and I was, I must have been like purple red. I was so embarrassed, but you know, it's live theater that happens. Like yeah. we all crack it happens. but this was a particularly bad one. And I just and turned around character for Karen it, in exactly. some, in some retrospect. I did say, I was like, at least Karen doesn't have to be a pretty singer. Like, thank goodness I wasn't playing Regina and it had to like be good. Um, although it is Broadway. So, you know, you, you try to <laughs> be good <laughs> um, for the people that are seeing the show. And I turned around and, you know, and normally when you crack either people, like they either like literally don't even notice because it really wasn't that bad or they try to make you feel better because it's live theater and it happens and you go, okay, it happened. And now you're going to move on. And everyone in the company was like, yeah, that was really rough. <laughs> it was so bad that they couldn't even, they couldn't even like pretend it was not bad. Yeah. It was just like a full, like two bars of terrible and I, for whatever reason, I should have just stopped singing, but like, like silence would have been better than what I was doing. And I just didn't, I just kept going. I think I was so shocked and horrified of what was coming out of my mouth that I didn't even have the presence of mind to stop making noise. Um, so that was definitely, that was definitely one of them that I will, that will go down in my own personal history as like the most embarrassing 
things I ever did. But you know what? I lived through it and I finished the yeah. show and it ended up being fine. Um, I hope, I'm sure someone has it on camera somewhere. There's a bootleg out there of me yeah. just cracking for Jesus. But, um, but uh, other than that, the only other time that it really ever went terribly awry for me, again, I'm lucky because Karen doesn't have too much to contribute in terms of, of dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely had, um, uh, during the rule of two scene, which is at the very end of the show, it's a text message scene between her and Katie. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. and I speak quite a bit in that. And I, I definitely, I got a, <laughs> a hair from my wig. This used to happen all the time, got caught in my throat oh. and I was aware of it and I was like, okay, well just keep talking. Like don't swallow or you'll cough. Right. And you're in the middle of this long monologue and it's comedy. So you don't want to screw up the rhythm. And so in my sort of fixation on not coughing, I stopped speaking. (laughs) And then I realized that I wasn't speaking and panicked and had absolutely no idea where I had left off. And so we paused for a second poor Erica's on stage with me. She could not save me. There was nothing she could do. I had to be me. And I knew that. And I was just staring into the audience going, you have to start talking. And so I just picked up in the middle of like another line that was in the future. So it was like, I stopped halfway through this line, skipped probably 15 words and then started in the middle of this line. And somehow I think it worked. Like somehow it, it at least like created, a, maybe not a good sentence, but like a sentence. And we went on and finished. And Erica and I got off stage and I was like, I am so sorry. And she goes, I just had no idea how to help you. And I figured I would just let you stand there and stare because you're Karen and Karen could totally trail off. Yeah, Karen sentence. could totally just stop speaking halfway through yep. the sentence and it'd yep. work. And so she truly, Karen truly saved me so many times in those little moments where it was like, it's Karen, so it's okay. It doesn't have to be good. It doesn't have to be smart. It doesn't even have to make sense necessarily. Just keep going. And so that's what I did. I just kept going and finished the scene. <laughs> <laughs> and now, do you have any worst audition experiences? Oh, wow. It wasn't for Mean Girls. Um, although my Mean Girls audition had its own moments, but I, I, I fainted like every audition once. Oh, what? Yep. Mm-hmm. I was auditioning for a show called American Psycho which was on Broadway a couple years ago. Actually, my friend Christina, who took yeah. over as Gretchen, she was in that show. We didn't really know each other at the time. Um, but I auditioned for American Psycho, and they asked us to come in with a pop rock song. And so I came in with a song by a band called Heart, called Alone. It's a very famous, you know, 80s rock song. Mm-hmm. And it is a, let's call it a driving ballad. And I, I made the incorrect assumption that the pianist who was playing the auditions would would know the song because I thought oh it's so famous and they're doing rock songs like I'm sure they he's played it before well whether or not he's played it before he did not inherently understand the driving part of the ballad and so it was very very slow and it's my mistake it's my job to stop and say like I'm so sorry can we actually take this a little bit of a different tempo let's pick this up let's start it over and I didn't do that I was like oh it'll be fine and so I was belting this like crazy rock song way, 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 way too slow. And it was about, I think it was like 11 in the morning was my audition. So it was early enough that like I'd been up and, but I hadn't eaten very much. And so I got to the end of the song and the song goes like, how do I get you alone? Oh, and then yeah, she goes, yeah. alone. And she holds it out forever and ever and ever and ever. And then she does it again, alone. And when I repeated it, I started to feel that feeling where like your vision starts to like get dark on the oh, sides. Yeah. And I was like, 
that's not good. And I was like, oh, I'll be fine. And then like the second time it was like really going and I was starting to feel a little lightheaded. And I was like, no, 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 you got to make it. I finished the song and they were like, great. Okay, let's do the scene. And I had left my scene work over at the piano and I went, okay. And I took one step and I fell to my knees, to my elbows and down to the ground. And I, I never really lost consciousness. I was unfortunately awake the whole time. I just <laughs> lost the ability to like control my body. And I, I sort of got down there and then like picked up my head and the creative team was like totally yeah, like didn't know what to do. Expected. You yeah. know, it's not pretty typical in an audition nope. to have somebody faint, so. No, I don't think so. Um, and so I, like, kind of, like, pulled myself back up, and I took my sides, and I sat down in the chair, and I was like, okay, let's just go. Let's do the scene. Um, and afterwards, I was so, needless to say, I did not book it. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw the, the head casting director later that afternoon, and I was so, I was so embarrassed. And I was like, I am so sorry. I cannot believe that happened. And he goes, ah, you're not the first and you're not the last. And he like oh. walked away from me like it was no big deal. <laughs> like, all right. Yep, no big deal. That's good. Like, oh, yep. So that's definitely, I think, the most embarrassing audition that I've ever had. Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, so let's talk a little bit more about you now. So if you hadn't become a performer, what do you think you would have done? You know, I, I, if, if way, way back when, when I was sort of making the decision, like when I was in, you know, junior high or high school and I had decided not to be a performer, I think I would have worked with animals somehow. I love yeah, working with animals. Yeah. Um, when I was little, I had a dream of working like at a, a zoo or at an animal rescue to be able to work with um, either like train animals or, or be responsible for their feeding or whatever. So I think that would be something I would have loved at the time. I'd still love that, but that I think would be the direction I would have gone in back then. Now, if I were to leave the business, um, actually, I, I guess I actually did leave the business for a, about two years after Rock of Ages. I needed some time off. I needed a little bit of time to heal my body and, and to um, eat carbs <laughs> and um, maybe like see friends and family on weekends because that's, you know, Broadway is a very different yeah. lifestyle. And so I actually did leave the business for a little while and I worked in the wine industry Oh, wow. I started I started working in this retail shop kind of by accident and I fell in love with it and I ended up going to school and getting um what's what's kind of like a associate's degree really okay. um in terms of what they kind of how they kind of work that education but I went and I got my my certification in um wine and spirits and I really love it it's a real passion of mine still and I think if I were to leave the business today, that's probably what I would pursue is going back into the wine industry. And um, actually, one of my dreams is to co combine both of those two things. I would love to own a winery that is also a uh, dog rescue. Oh, and that's wow. something that I think I'll, be... I'll do eventually with my life. Yeah, that should be kind of cool. You know? Yeah, I think it would be kind of fun being yeah. able to, to rescue animals and, and drink wine or make wine at the same time. Yeah. So you went to Baldwin Wallace University, right? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. And that's in Ohio. So how does someone make that shift from like Ohio to New York City? There's such completely different places, <laughs> completely different energies. And so how did you like adjust to that shift? I, so I grew up uh, not in Cleveland, which is where Baldwin Wallace is, but I grew up about four hours away in Cincinnati down a little farther south in uh, Ohio and both Cleveland and Cincinnati are city 
cities, like bigger cities inside Ohio. They're very Midwestern for sure, but um, they have a real metropolitan area. There's a lot of culture. There's a lot of people. So I never, I always knew that I would leave Ohio. I never thought that that was going to be my kind of ultimate destination. Um, I think because my parents had been in on the East Coast, they were very familiar with it. It didn't see, it didn't feel like a crazy idea. Um, and I think because of that, I think that's how I managed the transition is I just never really thought about it. I just did it. And I moved to New York and I moved with friends from school. You know, my, my other people that had graduated from my program who also were planning on moving to New York and, and pursuing a career on Broadway or in acting. And so I had friends there with me. My family was super supportive. They were very like, uh, granted their idea of New York city was like back in the early eighties when it was much scarier. So frankly, they were taking more, more of a risk than I was because I didn't know any better. Um, but they were very supportive of it and it just happened. And I moved and moved with my friends and I don't think it really even dawned on me for several months that like what, that New York was as, as different or as hard of, of a, a transition as it was. Um, I think I was just so neck deep in it that I didn't even know to look around and be scared. <laughs> so I wasn't. Yeah. So um, you moved right after university then. I did. Yes, mm-hmm. I did. I, I did some, some work that summer at a theater, um, in Boise, Idaho. Speaking of a transition, Boise, Idaho <laughs> is, um, it's beautiful. Oh my gosh. It's so pretty, but it is smaller. <laughs> and so I went out there for a few months and did some work out there uh, for a theater in Boise. And then I moved to New York right afterwards. So I moved in, I think I moved at the end of July is my actual okay. moving. So I finished school in end of April and then I moved in July. Okay. Like the hottest time to move to New York. Also, yeah. don't move to New York in July. It is the worst possible time you can move to New York. It is not New York's finest moment, July. It is very, very hot. And there is not enough air conditioning. And, and then also moving like, like boxes and everything. That's yes. It was, it, was, uh, it was in hindsight, there were other ways I could have done that. But it was what it was. I was too excited to go. So we went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why not, right? Yeah, exactly. And do you remember your first job in theater when you got to New York? What was that first oh, gig I you do. Um, well, the, actually, the first job I booked, I never actually got to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I booked a production of a, a play, actually. Well, actually, maybe it was musical. Now I can't remember. Um, but it was a production of Christmas Carol, which would have taken place that in that fall um, in Connecticut. And I never got to do it because I very soon after booked a reality show called Grease, You're the One That I Want. Oh, wow. And it filmed in Los Angeles. And so I spent, I guess, ultimately, overall, it was about six months um, working in LA on this reality series that was casting the Sandy and the Danny in the upcoming revival of Grease. And it was a sort of like a similar in concept to American Idol. Um, they had taken, they had done it a couple times in London, actually, for some shows that they had in London, and they tried the idea out in in America. Uh, let I me think be clear, they did it one not f- for Legally Blonde as well. The search for it's similar. So the Legally Blonde one wasn't live. That one was taped. Okay. Uh huh. And the one that we did was right was the year before that, and it was live. So that was where okay. the difference was for that. That was um, it was it didn't kind of in concept have that same idea. Um, but slightly different in terms of how they produced the show. Um, yeah. I, I am grateful that ours was live 
because at least our performance element was our performance element and there wasn't really anything that they could edit that down to. Um, the one that with, was with Legally Blonde. Um, I know a lot of the women that performed on that show and there was quite a bit of editing done by the, by the television imagine. producers to create drama. Um, for us, they, they tried to do that with us, but because it was live performance, there was only so much that they could really do. So I, I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Um, that being said, I will never do another reality show as long <laughs> as I live. <laughs> I don't recommend it. I did lose also, by the way, I was fifth place. So okay. I never okay. did. I never did Greece, which is probably fine also. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you uh, released an album called Back to My Roots, right? I did. I so, did. So, so what's that about? Like, when did you start working on it? So what's it all about? I have one of my like life dreams was to do a musical theater album. I am not a writer. I don't have a passion for writing. I don't have a skill for writing. Yeah. Um, it is, it is not my, not my, my uh, gift to offer the world, but um, I love, I just love musical theater. And I had always wanted to do some sort of album at some point in my life. And um, in right after I finished Rock of Ages um, and I sort of was making the decision to, to step away from the business, I was approached by a cabaret venue in New York City asking if I was interested in doing a solo show. And I was like, oh, sure, why not? That sounds like fun. It is so much work. But um, I created this solo show that has eventually evolved into Back to My Roots, which is um, the title of my show and the title of my album. The album is just the songs, none of the sort of other parts of the cabaret. Um, but it is a, a, a studio recording of the arrangements that we do in my show. It's all 1980s Broadway which is the stuff that I fell in love with listening to these records with my parents yeah. when I was a kid um, that I absolutely cannot get cast in any of their shows. I have auditioned <laughs> for Les Mis more times than you can count. Nobody wants me to be in their production of Les Mis. <laughs> so I said, to heck with it. I'm going to do my own show with all the music that I like. And that is, that is both my cabaret show that I have and the album. And we put it together. Oh my gosh. We started recording it in the fall of 2017 right before i went out of town to do the dc run of mean girls which was a very insane time to do that because <laughs> <laughs> we were very tired and very busy um but i recorded in the fall of 2017 and we released the album in the spring of 2018 right after um mean girls opened so yeah. right around that same time and um, yeah, it's, it's a, it, I'm very, very proud of it. I love it very much. Um, it was a lot of work. Someday I will probably do another one, but maybe not for a while. <laughs> and where can we all listen to it if we, if we want to? So it's available on iTunes and on Amazon. Um, and now I think actually it is available for streaming, I believe on Spotify. Oh, um, so I know you, I know you can find it. I, I'm almost positive it's Spotify streaming as well. So yeah, just back to my roots. But if you want to buy it, it's on iTunes um, or on Amazon. Okay, perfect. And okay, so this is a question that I kind of ask everyone, but, and it's very broad, it's very vague, so you can answer it however you choose. Um, okay. But what is your dream role? It could be TV, film, Broadway, tours, you know, it could even be on the creative side of things like writer, director, you know, it's just, what is that one project where if somebody said, Kate, you can do this right now, like, what is it that you'd be like, yes, I will do it? 
I I dream of playing Trina in Falsettos. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my one of my all time favorite shows, and I. I, I hope that the next time they revive it, I'll be old enough to look like I have a son. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a hope of mine. And um, I also would love, I, I don't know how this exists, so we'll see. But I would love to sing the score of Sideshow. I love the music of Sideshow. I don't know that I'm really ever going to get the opportunity to play one of the roles in an actual production, but I would love to do like a concert version of Sideshow. And what I want to do is I want to have myself and the other woman um alternate roles on other nights so basically we would be able to i would be able to sing the entire score over the course of the week is dudes you know violet one night and daisy the next yeah someday maybe someday we'll i'll get to i'll have to produce it myself probably but (laughs) why not but i would love to do that Mm -hmm. okay so we've talked about dream roles but what has been your favorite past production that you've been a part of? It could be anything from high school to college to Broadway, you know, that one show. I think one of the things that has brought me the most, like, real true in my little child heart joy was when I played Belle in Beauty and the Beast at the Muni. Oh, um, the, yeah. Muni, the Muni is an outdoor theater in St. Louis. It's been around for 100 years. It has almost 13,000 seats. Oh, wow. It is in, incredible to perform there. It's literally like doing theater in a football stadium. Um, yeah. But because it's outdoors, you do experience a lot of the elements. And doing Disney shows outdoors is like actual theater magic. Um, because the wind blows in your hair while you're singing like songs about the Great Wide Somewhere. And yeah. it, it like... We sing home to the moon, like shining over the audience. It is wow. so beautiful and so special. And the Can Muni imagine. in general is one of the most magical places for theater on earth. It is just an extremely special experience. Um, you rehearse outdoors. Everything's outdoors. It's 100 degrees, by the way. So in, in St. Louis is in the Midwest and it's, it's very hot and very humid. <laughs> yes. So it's, it's really, um, it's an agreement that everyone makes at the Muni to like, just be dirty and sweaty and gross all the time and happy and joyful. And you put a production up in eight days total. So you have eight days of rehearsal and then you run for a week and then you go home. It's so fast. It's like less than three weeks for the whole experience. Um, And it is just so, so magical and so much fun. And I, I have, I I have said uh, before, and I will say again, I would do anything there ever. I would be so happy to go there and move sets. It's just like a really joyful place to be. So I think, I think when they, when they they gave me the opportunity to play Belle, who's my favorite Disney princess, um, and, and for sure a dream role of mine, I, I think that was one of the most magical experiences of my whole life. Wow. Yeah. That sounds very cool. (laughs) Okay. So final question. Do you have any advice for people who want to be in the performing arts industry? I have so much advice, <laughs> um, but, you know, take it or leave it. I, I think one of the things that I learned, and I've said this a lot, actually, but I, I think it's really, really important, and it is very hard. It's easy to say and easy to hear and very hard to actually do is I, I wish that earlier in my career I had learned, and some people do. I, I was not one of them. Um, I had absorbed the idea that what makes us interesting and special are also the things that make us weird and uncomfortable. And 
I spent a lot of my time trying to be what I thought people wanted. Like, oh, well, this is what they must want for this role. And this is what they must want for this role. Or, um, you know, the original company, uh, Kelly O'Hara played this role. So I should go in and try to be like Kelly O'Hara. And the reality is that's not the case. Um, number one, I am a terrible Kelly O'Hara. Kelly O'Hara <laughs> is the perfect Kelly O'Hara. Um, and she is actually um, still working. So if they wanted a Kelly O'Hara, they would hire her. Um, yeah. They don't need me to do a bad impression of Kelly O'Hara. <laughs> um, however, I am the best version of Kate Rockwell, right? Like nobody else is going to be able to do Kate Rockwell like I can. And that's because I am my own storyteller. I have my own voice and I have my own experiences and my own feelings and my own skills. And that's what makes me special and interesting and unique and sure, not right for everything. Absolutely. Again, nobody wants me to be in their lameness and that's okay. Um, but it's given me the opportunities to play some incredible roles that I have loved so much and maybe even put a very new perspective on a role that I didn't originate. Like when I got to play Sherry in Rock of Ages, which was one of the most wonderful things I've ever done professionally. Um, I, I wish that I had been able to absorb that earlier and stop spending so much of my time trying to be like other people or trying to guess what other yeah. people wanted and just been myself. And again, that's so hard to do, especially when you're younger because you're still learning about yourself. And you're still figuring out who you are and who you want to be. Um, but I really encourage anyone who wants to be a performer to embrace the things that make you weird, embrace the things that make you special, because those are going to be the things that make you stand out and make you shine. So don't try to be like us. We are already here. We're boring. We're old hat. Try to be just like you are. That was perfectly said. <laughs> well, that's a wrap. So thank you so much for joining me today, Kate. Thank you for having me, Rob. I've loved being here with you. I'm so glad. And thank you to everyone who tuned in. So look out for episode five airing next Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Stay safe, everyone. Bye.